So 1 Corinthians 13 is the passage that we are dealing with and we've been dealing with a, a, a lot over the last while. Verse 7, love always protects, always trusts. That was our focus last week, last Sunday evening. And then it says always hopes. And then next Sunday evening, John, it's your job, always perseveres. That will be what we'll carry on. But tonight, just love always hopes. And I'll say it again, like, like I said last week, a lot of the material that we have uh, come up with is a realist, realist view of 1 Corinthians 13 is Louis Mead's book, uh, Love Within Limits. And if you've never read it or never had a chance to look at it, we would encourage you to do so. I believe there's a copy in the library. And so by all means, make sure maybe it's gone already. I'm not sure. But um, it's a wonderful summary of 1 Corinthians 13 and much of what we say um, comes from that and his sort of way of thinking. So lest I'm plagiarizing, at least you know, then Louis Meads has something to say about all of that. So brothers and sisters in Christ, our, our text for this evening, interestingly enough, puts two words, as it were, side by side. That is the words love and hope. As the apostle writes about the most excellent way, it's inevitable that he also includes the concept of love. After all, love and hope are inseparable. But as we study this next characteristic of love, allow me first of all to briefly review what's meant by love as 1 Corinthians, yeah, as per 1 Corinthians 13. And then we'll take a look at what the Bible means by the word hope, and then we'll finally see how they all fit together. So as we review the word, what the meaning of the word love is, I know maybe you're kind of getting sick of that, hearing that same thing over, but it's the gospel, and that's, we love to preach that, and therefore I have no problem saying it. As we've moved along through the various pieces of this chapter, I trust that you have gathered that 1 Corinthians 13 is a celebration of love. Agape, love, to use the Greek word. And as we've noted all along in this series of, of sermons, the word love is an action word. It's a verb. It's not necessarily a feeling or an emotion. It's not the kind of love that a person may feel for another person, nor is it even the type of love between a husband and wife, although that's getting closer to the true meaning since the relationship of husband and wife, according to Ephesians, is to reflect the relationship of Jesus and the church. But the love referred to here in this chapter is that love that we're called upon to carry out or to do or to have quite apart from how we might feel about it. It's the highest form of love there is. It's the most excellent way. And as we've noted all along, if we really want to understand this most excellent way, then we must look at the Christian story. Because the love talked about in 1 Corinthians 13 is the type of love that God demonstrated in the person of Jesus Christ. We heard something about that this morning, too. While we were yet sinners, God, in Christ, came down to us. He moved among us sinners and rebels that we are. 
And in coming to us, he came with no expectation of any sort of return from us. He came with no expectation of applause or reward. And so that's what the Bible calls grace. Grace is our simply receiving God's riches at Christ's expense, if you will, or undeserved merit. In Jesus, we got something for nothing. We didn't deserve any attention from the Lord because of our sinfulness, and yet he came. God sent his son. We sing about it. His name was Jesus. He bled and died to take away your and my sin. And Jesus did all that voluntarily. He acted out of love. And, of course, because he had to in order to save God's people, God's creatures. There simply was no other way. Now, had God's love been based strictly on emotion or on feelings, there would no doubt have been a greater hesitation to go through all the suffering and sorrow because Jesus' love cost him his very life, and he gave that life. But it was no easy thing. Now, agape love that 1 Corinthians 13 talks about is this totally selfless type of love which Jesus displayed. And as we've noticed all along, such love does not necessarily come easily. Now, writes the Apostle Paul, we as Christians are to walk in this most excellent way, a way which surpasses all the other gifts with which the Lord showers the church. And like this love moved Jesus toward us, so this love is to propel us toward others without any expectation of reward. So like the good Samaritan, Samaritan who went over and helped the man who had fallen among the robbers on the road, so we're called upon to love our neighbor. Again, without any expectation of reward. Quite unlike the way in which various members of the church in Corinth were hurting one another through carelessness in worship at the Lord's table in relationships and so forth, the members of the church were reminded that love is the way, the most excellent way. And if lived out, the church would be very different and truly reflect the glory of the Lord. Interestingly, not only are we to love our neighbor without any expectation of reward, we're also called upon to love God in the same way. Our love for the Lord ought never to be based on any sort of expectation that if we love him, then we'll get a place on the new earth or any such thing. Rather, our love for the Lord ought to be simply based upon the fact that he loved us first. Now, it's hard to live that way because it requires that we make ourselves vulnerable, that we lay ourselves open. It may even require that we give up our life for our fellow man or for the Lord. But as the Lord Jesus himself said, greater, no greater love has a man than when he lay down his life for his friends. So this is not a careless sort of love. 
This is not a type of love that couldn't care at all about what happens to the self. This is not the type of love that makes one put him or herself down as unimportant or expendable. On the contrary, Jesus was in anguish about the things he would suffer and about the death he faced on our behalf. And yet he made the willing choice to suffer and to die. Agape love is that type of love. It puts God first, and then in his name, it makes us choose to serve our fellow man. It's always active and always moves us toward those in need, toward others, in spite of what we may feel about that person or about that person's situation. So agape love allows us to move into the poverty of the world and get involved. The love 1 Corinthians 13 talks about is the type of love that makes us want to get our hands dirty, so to speak. It calls for us to identify ourselves with others and to share their griefs and their pains. That's precisely the type of love that God had for us in Christ Jesus. It's a love that speaks volumes about grace. Now, tied up with this concept of love is something called hope. Actually, hope is a characteristic of love, or as Dr. Louis Smedes writes, love is the power of hope. As long as a person loves, he is able to hope. Love keeps us hopeful in all situations, against all evidence. Love hopes all things. That's what he writes. So then what is hope? Well, when the Bible uses the word hope, it always speaks of a certainty, which is really cool. In Romans 5, 5, we read about a hope that does not disappoint us. Now, that's quite a different way of using the word hope than the way we often use the word hope. In our daily human experience, we fall back on something we call hope precisely when we seem to lose our confidence, when we're at wit's end, and we'll often say, well, all we can do now is hope. Hope it works out. Keep on hoping. And when we talk like that, then we're not using the meaning of the word hope as found in Romans 5. Actually, when we talk in these sorts of ways, we're merely wishing that things would be different, but they're not, we're not necessarily sure that they will be. But when the Bible uses the word hope, it uses it in a much more certain way. And the wonderful thing about the gospel, the wonderful message of the Bible is that Christ is our hope. You are my hope and expectation, an old song that we used to sing. Indeed, Christ is our hope, a hope that cannot and will not fail. And that's so because Christ cannot and will not fail. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, unchanging, more solid than any rock or than any great fortress. And that's why the Christian hope is often characterized by an anchor, Hebrews 6, 19, a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Hope in the Christian life means I am sure as I face the future. 
I can face tomorrow. We just heard it during the offering. Hope in the Christian life means I am sure as I face the future. It allows us to go un undaunted. It allows the Christian to march into battle confident of the victory over sin and the evil one and all of our enemies. Psalm 27. We need not go through life with the attitude, I sure hope that I'll make it to heaven or to the new earth, but you never know. I hope the Lord will protect me, but yeah, you never know. When we use the word hope in such a sentence, and it's used in the sense that I don't really know for sure about the new earth, about eternity, about the Lord's protection, but I sure wish it were so, but you never know. But the Bible would have us know that we can be sure of the future. We say it in Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 1, I know that I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. I know, not I think, I feel, or perhaps it may or may not be the case. No, I know. That's the wonderful thing about the Catechism. I know that I belong. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are, writes the Apostle John in 1 John 3, verse 1. I know that's what we are. And he writes these statements with exclamation marks, with no doubt in his mind. Assurance of salvation, as we also heard when we looked at the last point of the canons of Dort in our dive into doctrine thing, assurance of salvation can be ours. And we can say this because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, Romans 5, 5. You see, love, the love celebrated by 1 Corinthians 13 is the power behind the hope that does not disappoint us. And because of this love, we can be assured of the certainty of Christian hope. And what is this hope that doesn't disappoint us? Does that mean that we can have confidence that a miraculous healing is always on the way? Does love give us the power to know that our loved one's cancer is going to go away? Does love tell parents that their wandering children will absolutely come back? Does love guarantee or assure us that every split-up husband and wife will be reconciled? Well, the answer to these and other such questions is obviously no. Love cannot make us certain about everything. Often we are disappointed because a relative dies of cancer or an accident or or something else. Often we're disappointed because a straying child doesn't come back or, or a marriage remains broken. Yet love hopes all things, says the writer. And the writer of 1 Corinthians 13 can say this because the biblical concept of hope is not focused on particular things like a cure for cancer or the reconciliation of a marriage. Rather, hope, as the Bible talks of it, looks much further. It searches for assurance from God that life has a point or that life has meaning in spite of things like cancer or accidents or rebellious children or, or broken marriages. 
Hope looks for comfort, security, strength, in spite of the misery, pain, and sorrow of this life. Hope looks to the promise of the final victory of Jesus Christ over all that hurts and kills. And that's precisely the type of hope that gives the Christian the ability to worship and to praise God and to face the future with expectancy even when one doesn't expect the particular problem you have to be solved. Love breathes, if you will, this hope, this certainty in both the person loved and in the loving person. And when you see how love gives hope to the person who is loved, who's on the receiving end, and how, hope, how love gives hope to the one doing the loving, then I trust you'll also see how love and hope go hand in hand. And so Smeeves has some examples in his book, and they're kind of cool examples. When someone's a patient, he or she is usually cared for by someone else. A caring for the sick is a, is a form of love. And when someone is truly being cared for, he knows that he's being loved. And when a person knows that she's loved, that people are praying for her, that she's thought about, they usually have hope. It doesn't mean that the sick person will necessarily expect a cure for his cancer or whatever illness. But the care received does allow one to look beyond his or her care circumstances to see something of a broader picture of life. Perhaps through the touch of human care, the patient may discover anew the saving love of Christ, the Lord treating her as a very precious person. And perhaps this hope will focus beyond this life to unending life with the Lord. Of course, our care will not always result in such a focusing of heart and mind, but every caring opportunity and response to it is important. Love is also the source of hope in emotional problems. When a depressed or emotionally upset person discovers someone really cares, hope begins. They may not see the light at the end of the tunnel, but there is something, someone to hang on to. Perhaps the problem stems from a loss of hope in the first place. A revival of hope brings a revival of the courage to face life a life in which there is often no escape from one's problems. Love has given the power to hope the, that life can be with, can be lived in the middle of emotional problems. So not only does love then give hope to the person love, but it also gives hope to the person doing the loving. As our love is to parallel God's love, we find that we're also to love this world in spite of its problems. As we love this world, we can only come to hope for its redemption. We recognize that the world is distorted and fallen. God so loved the world, a world that rebelled against him. But as Christians, as people who love, we can only want better things for this world. We can only want to love this world. We want our neighbor's diseases to be healed. We want the hungry to be fed. We want the captives to be freed. We want peace and happiness in this world. Above all, we want the world to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Basically, we want better things for a suffering world. 
In this way, our love is the beginning of hope. For as Smedes puts it, hope begins with a desire, desire that wills others to have what we hope for. And added to the desire to make things better is the expectancy that they will indeed be made better. And this is, of course, especially true when we become Christians. When we experience the forgiveness of sins, when we know that our messed up past had been paid for by Christ, then we can face the future with hope. Love is the power that enables a person to hope. For hope knows that indeed one day all things will be made new through the love of God. And so Paul can sing in this love song, love hopes all things. There may be all sorts of things and experiences in this life that test our hope or that seem to negate hope, making, up our throw, make us, making us throw up our hands in despair, saying it's hopeless. There may not be a human cure for our illness. The depression may seem to go on and on. A disabled child may seem like a never-ending burden to bear. A rebellious child may severely test our patience and may reject us altogether. A parent may continue to be abusive. A marriage may seemingly never be repaired. Yet in each situation, as we love without expecting a return or without expecting a miraculous result of some sort, we can have hope the hope that Christ brings. For Christ, who is love personified, brings the hope, the certainty that life is good as a gift from God, that life has purpose, that life has meaning, and that a future is absolutely sure. And so love is the power of a new hope that can live with pain. Love hopes all things. It's an extravagant claim, especially in the face of the misery and often felt hopelessness of this life. And yet in Christ's love for us and for this world, he also brought hope, the certainty that one day through his recreating power, he will make everything new in this world. Suffering, sickness, Dying, tears are not going to be part of the new world. Our hope, our security, our comfort in life as Christians lies in the promise of the final victory of Jesus Christ over all that hurts and kills and destroys and over everything that stands opposed to the coming of the kingdom of heaven. And a Christian lives with such assurance and with such hope. Amen. Father in heaven, in the midst of a world that is so broken and so destroyed, we thank you that we may have hope. We thank you, Lord, that we may live in the assurance of knowing that we belong to you that we may live in the assurance of knowing that one day all things will be made new. Thank you that we may live in the assurance of knowing that as we live now, we may know Jesus Christ and we may have life and life, an abundant life.
And so, Lord, even though we are not necessarily cured of our illness or the things that are broken in our lives are not necessarily fixed up, nonetheless, we have hope for the future. And so, we praise you and we honor you and we give you thanks for your incredible love for us in Christ Jesus. Help us to truly reflect Jesus' love and so bring you the glory and the honor today and every day of this world and of the life that you give us in this world. We thank you, Lord, for this wonderful day that you have given to us, for opportunities to worship and to be together. And we pray, O oh Lord, that we, as we go into this coming week, that we may be recognizing the fact that underneath are the everlasting arms and that you never, ever let us go. All these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.